0: gente muita gente pessoal ever since the 2021 Capitol riots in the u.S we at the Brazilian report have repeatedly warned of the risk of a similar incident taking place on home soil in the event of far-right then-president Jair Bolsonaro losing last year's election. On Sunday, two years and two days after rioters attacked the US Capitol building in Washington DC, Brazil got its own January the 6th, or more accurately, January the 8th. Hordes of radical Bolsonaro supporters stormed the seats of government in Brasilia invading the Congress building, Planalto Palace, and the Supreme Court. Sparse deployments of local police personnel were unable to hold rioters off as they desecrated federal buildings, smashing windows, defacing walls, trashing furniture, stealing and destroying priceless pieces of art and, in some cases, urinating and defecating on public property. The disorderly mob were cleared out hours later, and arrests are in the thousands already. Meanwhile, Brazil is left to literally pick up the pieces from a truly astonishing and unprecedented day in the country's history. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, editor-in-chief of The Brazilian Report, and this is Explaining Brazil. Editor Ewan Marshall joins me today, returning to the podcast for the first time in 2023. What a start of the year, right?
1: Hi, Gustavo. Yeah, you can say that again, um, because it feels like President Lula has been in office for all of like five minutes um, and he's already facing these huge tests. He's got insurrectionists at the door. You know, it's really quite, really quite something.
0: So Ewan, we have covered Sunday's Riots to Exhaustion both on our website and we also did a two-hours-long live broadcast that people can watch on YouTube. But for the benefit of our listeners, let's just rewind the tape a little bit. Why did these radical groups storm federal buildings in Brasilia?
1: Well. As you mentioned there at the very top of the show, uh, we've been warning of the risks of something like this happening for years now, um, because throughout his presidency and his failed re-election campaign, Jair Bolsonaro sought to hammer home his conspiracy theories that you know Brazil's electoral system is rigged, uh, which suggested that he would not accept defeat um, at the ballot box. And predictably, after he lost to Lula in October of last year, he refused to concede, uh, which prompted his radical followers to mobilize. They blocked federal highways. They marched in major cities. They set up camps in front of army barracks and called for a military coup that would annul the election result and then keep Bolsonaro in power.
0: Yeah. And I mean, each of these events seemed like a dress rehearsal for something worse that would happen later and maybe that epitomized on Sunday, January the 8th. So what was that Sunday like? Uh, Can we call it a Bolsonaro-led coup attempt, as some members of the federal government have?
1: Yeah, I mean, opinions are going to vary on this from people in the government and from, you know, pundits and experts and all that sort of thing. Everyone's got their own opinion. Um, I really don't think it was a kind of coup attempt because I think to launch a coup, they really, they needed military, like a lot of the higher ups from the military. They needed them on side. Um, and these were people who were never really going to make the plunge. And, then and they Jair, need a plan, right? Yeah, they need a plan. Exactly. And Jair Bolsonaro, who's their, their leader of these groups, he's convalescing in Florida at the moment uh, and he's not getting involved at all. So I think this was essentially these coup-mongering, radical Bolsonaro fans kind of losing the plot, essentially, uh, enabled by a feeble security presence in Brasilia and also far-right businessmen with with deep pockets.
0: Yeah. And I mean, comparisons to the January the 6th capital riots are obvious and certainly valid. But as we always say, uh, let's hold our horses with these direct comparisons because Brazil is a very different country with a very different... Uh, system of government. So, I mean, these events, while uh, the images are eerily similar, they are very different beasts, right? I mean, they were not trying to block President Lula's certification. That happened on December the 12th. They were not trying to stop his inauguration. That happened on January the 1st.
1: Yeah, and it's really worth underlining that a bit further because, you know, not only did this riot happen on a Sunday, it was also happened while Congress and the Supreme Court are in recess. So, And President Lola was even out of the Capitol. So you didn't have that kind of physical danger element that you had in the Capitol riot in the US, the January 6th attack. Instead, it kind of looked more like, you know, performative vandalism and perhaps even intimidation to kind of to fuel the existing far right media sphere, you know?
0: Yeah, so I propose maybe we should focus less on why this happened and maybe let's use this episode to talk about how it was allowed to happen.
1: Yeah. And I think for that, we have to point the fingers at the government in the federal district, uh, which is where Brasilia is located. And, you know, maybe even a couple of a couple of Lula's cabinet ministers as well. Um, first of all, the Brasilia governor, Ibanez Rocha, uh, he's shouldering much of the blame um, for the response of his law enforcement. Because, I mean, he was aware that thousands of Bolsonaro supporters had been bussed in to Brasilia that weekend and were planning to protest. But the police deployment on the day was so small that, you know, they were easily overpowered once things started to kind of get criminal. Um, And he's now been suspended for office uh, for 90 days.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's important to highlight that Brasilia is a city built to avoid this sort of assault. Um, I've lived most of my life there. I worked for years there and I've never seen anything remotely resembling what we saw on January the 8th. Uh, for people who don't know Brazil in detail, distances are very vast and uh, the heart of the capital is a massive, huge open space that makes it easy for authorities to repress violent mobs. Uh, in past demonstrations, that has happened very quickly. Mobs were mastered by law enforcement. Uh, It's also important to point out that between the concentration point, the gathering point of this mob and the Congress building where everything just unraveled, it was a 6.5-kilometer march. I mean, uh, you literally could see this coming from miles away. Um, So moving on to the aftermath of uh, the riots, Ibanez Rocha, the suspended governor of Brasilia, He got that suspension just hours after the riot, and once President Lula had already decreed federal intervention into Brasilia's security apparatus, meaning that the police forces, the local police forces, would no longer respond to local authorities, but rather to a man appointed by Lula himself. The response seemed to have been very fast, Right.
1: Yeah. And I think this is another moment where we can make that kind of comparison with the January 6th, the capital riots, because when we look at that incident, it took days, weeks, and in some cases, months for people to be arrested. Um, whereas in Brasilia, in the space of 24 hours, we already had like 1,700 people uh, being rounded up and, and uh, held in custody. And the three branches of government are united in the way that they're condemning the attacks. Uh, There's even talks of a parliamentary inquiry into the organization and the funding of the riots. So, you know, there's a lot going on already.
0: No, and it's important to highlight that most of the people who are in custody, they were, quote unquote, hiding in a campsite just outside of the army barracks. They have been there for 10 weeks. Uh, Everybody knew it. And uh, so once the authorities decided to respond to those campsites that were openly asking for a military coup, they knew exactly where to get them. So talking about these specific responses to the attack later, I think the speed of concrete actions is down to Brazil's system being a lot less gridlocked than in the U.S., right? Measures can be put in place a lot quicker, the ability of one single party just blocking every possible action by the government is practically non-existent. But when you mentioned earlier that members of Lula's cabinet should perhaps be held to task for Sunday's riots as well, what did you mean?
1: Well, I think, first of all, um, we really have to look at potentially Justice Minister Flavio Gino, um, because much of what is being leveled at Ibanez Rocha, the governor of Brasilia, You know, you could also, you could also point the same fingers at the justice ministry, especially like their kind of intelligence um, services. Because the day before the riot, um, he tweeted that he was made aware of a supposed, quote, war um, that was going to happen in Brasilia that pro Bolsonaro activists planned to wage on Brasilia. But he kind of gave the impression that he was on top of the situation, um, that these things would be contained. And the fact that Sunday's events did descend into such chaos, um, I think, you know, there should be questions asked um, about the Justice Ministry there mm. to see, you know, exactly if if, if everything was done, um, if everything's done above board. Um, but I think perhaps even more so, as you mentioned there about the the protest camp outside of the army barracks, there was a case to hold the Defence Minister, uh, José Moussio, a uh, accountable um, for what happened on Sunday, because the reading at this stage is that he completely underestimated these protest camps um, outside of army barracks. He underestimated security threats coming from these radical bolsonaristas. He even described these camps as being democratic, even though, as you said, they were obviously calling for a military coup.
0: And one detail that is important is that these two men in many ways symbolize the big tent under which Lula was elected because Mussou is a bona fide conservative and Flavigino is a man way to the left. So in the first days of the government, they were defending very different approaches to these campsites. Uh, So then after the riot, as the military police went to round up rioters who had returned to the protest camp outside of the barracks, there were reports, I mean, and footage showing that the army police blocked the entry of the police to these campsites, right?
1: Well, yeah, there's a few suggestions as to why um, why that happened and why Mosio and the defense ministry adopted a more kind of protective stance towards the protest camp. Um, there are reports that some of his family members and the family members of his military colleagues were inside the camp, suggesting that... You know, he didn't want to be too heavy handed and dismantling them because, you know, he knew some of the protesters inside. So, you know, with things like that going around, he definitely has plenty to answer for, I think.
0: Yes. What a way to, to start your tenure. A great first week in office. Yeah. <laughs> so, everyone, before we move on, well, we did expect something like that to happen in the election aftermath, This wasn't exactly what we had in mind, was it? There were fears that a Brazilian January the 6th would be a lot more violent, potentially deadly. But instead, we basically got smashed glass and feces on the floor of government building. And I don't want to undermine what happened because uh, they damaged public property. They destroyed artwork that is extremely valuable. Uh, the government chief whip in Congress said that the damage was worse than a bombing. Um, so, I mean, we talk a lot about militants giving blood, sweat and tears. In this case, they gave blood, urine and feces, right?
1: Yeah, and it was it was hardly, you know, the storming of the Bastille or anything like that. Um, but you're right, we shouldn't underplay the severity uh, because it was truly historic. Um, but at the end of the day, the the feeling that I had and um, quite a few other people had was that it came across as you know these radical, desperate Bolsonaro supporters just left to their own devices.
0: Yes, and like we mentioned previously, every act of violence uh, perpetrated after the election seemed like a sort of dress rehearsal for something worse. So, have we seen further attacks after the riots in Brasilia?
1: Well so there was a suggestion quite quickly and also some some messages around um these radical far right groups on you know instant messaging apps suggesting that they would turn their attention to you know highways and oil refineries and um, specifically uh, around the country in the hope of kind of forcing supply shortages and just causing general havoc um most of these acts led to nothing uh, because You know, the intelligence, I think, was quite good. I think the security forces realised quite quickly that that would be a target. So a lot of them were dismantled quite quickly. But uh, late on Monday, um, a tower at an important electricity pipeline was knocked down in the south of Brazil, um, which linked to the massive Itaipu hydroelectric dam. Um, So I think, you know, we should potentially expect a kind of continuation of these isolated attacks around the country over the coming days and weeks. How successful they're going to be, we'll have to find out.
0: And one thing that is interesting is that uh, the problems with these power transmission towers were discovered because they were in a report by the National Grid's operator. Nobody felt any problem with their energy supply. So that is a big statement to how solid
1: Brazil's grid actually is. Yeah, maybe they're they're the true winners of all (laughs) that.
0: unsung heroes. So... The response to these attacks we'll discuss just after a short break. As you may already know, the Brazilian Report is funded by subscriptions and support from loyal readers. Besides subscribing to our website and getting exclusive daily content on Brazil and Latin America, you can also treat our staff to one to five cups of coffee a month. And in return, you get exclusive benefits, such as special newsletters, behind-the-scenes content, as well as a shout-out here on our podcast. And today, I want to thank our Buy Me A Coffee members, John Thomas III, Luis Haynes, Erwin Menes, Orlando Black, Steve Knapp, Aaron Berger, James Coney, Kars Vresvrik, Alasdair Townsend, Peter Abrahamson. Michael Fryer, Miller Renascido, Jim Awofadeju, David Dixon, Felipe Saito, José Rosy Stankovic, Gabriela Graf Innes, Emerging Market Muser, Yarden Ifta, Tanika Thompson, Anderson da Silva, Kat Kramer, Fra, Peter Suffering, Anna Lund, and someone who chose to remain anonymous, And I would also like to thank all the people who contributed with coffee donations during our live broadcast of Brasilia's January the 8th riots. And by the way, a special, special thanks to Luis Hens who donated 20 cups of coffee at just once. And God knows we really needed a lot of coffee these past few days. If you also believe in the importance of independent journalism, and if you want to hear your name on our podcast, just head over to buymeacoffee.com slash brazilianreport and subscribe to one of the membership tiers. If you cannot make a monthly commitment, that's okay because you can still tip us a cup of coffee every now and then just to give us that energy boost we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil and a region as complex as Latin America. We appreciate any support you can give us. Click on buymeacoffee.com, slash Report to find out more. As we mentioned earlier on this show, only a handful of days have passed since the Brasilia riots and the response from branches of government has been swift. We had a federal intervention in the capital's public security system, the suspension of the Brasilia's governor, And while the riots were still taking place, Senators got to work on launching a parliamentary inquiry into the root causes of the attack. Will Marshall, Deputy Editor of the Brazilian Report, tell us a bit more about what these lawmakers were doing behind the scenes.
1: Well, I mean, if we go back to the U.S. January six comparisons once again, uh, we remember that it took around 18 months for the House Select Committee to actually hold their hearings on the Capitol riots. And here we have Brazil's senators, you know, trying to set up an inquiry right away, basically. And to open a congressional inquiry in Brazil, you need support from one third of the House or the Senate, uh, which means 27 signatures for the latter. And within a matter of hours of the Brazilian riots, uh, one investigation request made by conservative senator Soraya Thronique already had the backing of 31 senators.
0: And you mentioned she's a conservative. She's not only that, she's a former Bolsonaro loyalist. So that means it's not just the left trying to screw Bolsonaro over.
1: Yeah, not at all. Um, So among those 31 senators, you've got people from all across the political spectrum. Um, As you mentioned, you know, even some who are seen as staunch Bolsonaro allies, supporters. The idea is that the rioting radicals kind of, they carried out an attack on Congress. Um, So specifically, these lawmakers are kind of keen to get justice.
0: And here at the Brazilian report, we have talked a lot about these congressional inquiries over the past few years. Notably, the 2021 COVID hearings, but it's worth explaining a little bit about them to our listeners. I mean, not to get too much into the weeds, but it's important to know what they actually mean and how consequential they can be.
1: Yeah, I mean, typically the hearings committees in Brazil they involve a kind of a great deal of grandstanding, um, media storms, and you know, public hearings of dirty laundry. Uh, before basically having like no end product at the end. Uh, it was a way for politicians who are on these committees to show how indignant they are about some sort of cause and then a way for them to just embarrass those who are involved, you know, haul, haul them up in front of a committee, get them on live television, questioning them, that sort of thing.
0: And to, to your point that this is often just political theatre, I remember we had the a Parliamentary Inquiries Committee on why Brazil lost the 1998 World Cup to France.
1: Yeah, we had um, Ronaldo being asked by senators who was meant to be marking Zinedine Zidane at a corner <laughs> kick.
0: Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, that seems to have changed a bit with the COVID inquiry. The Senate really went after the Bolsonaro's government failed pandemic response. Laying their shortfalls bare with plenty of evidence, uh, thousands and thousands of pages of documents. And after six months, they submitted indictment requests against 81 individuals and companies, and they accused Bolsonaro on nine counts, including crimes against humanity. Now, the Federal Prosecution Office sat on the committee's findings, initially to please Bolsonaro. But now that Bolsonaro is no longer in office, his fair game to trial courts. So members of that inquiry are
1: seeking to prosecute him now. And also many of those people who were involved in the COVID inquiry are also involved in setting up this particular uh, hearings request. So you'd think that, you know, if it does go ahead, it might be equally damaging for Bolsonaro and his allies.
0: But there's one huge problem in the way of this inquiry request, right? and that makes it almost impossible to get off the ground, at least for now.
1: Yeah, uh, well, congressional rules in Brazil state that any hearings committees are terminated at the end of like a legislature. And we have a new Congress who's going to be sworn into office uh, at the start of February. So basically means that this particular hearings committee request is basically useless because there's no time to open it, there's no time to do it.
0: So it seems that some senators... Just want to get their point across. They, they want to show that they would not tolerate acts of domestic terrorism, especially not against themselves. But once the new lawmakers are sworn in, could a new push for an, an inquiry get off the ground?
1: Well, yeah, it's a big possibility uh, because the majority of the current Senate will still be in office come February uh, because only one third of the Senate were actually up for re-election in uh, October's elections last year. And 26 of the 31 signatories of this current request are still going to be in office. So that means that there's only, you know, overcoming the threshold of 27 signatures should be quite easy.
0: And to our point that uh, in Brazil... Just one party is not able to block the legislature. Jair Bolsonaro's Liberal Party has the biggest bench in the Senate, but that means controlling just 13 of 81 seats. So,
1: Not enough to block an inquiry.
0: Exactly. Um, Even more so considering that the federal government will probably put its weight behind it, right? So what else have we seen in terms of responding? to the acts of domestic terrorism that we saw on Sunday.
1: Well, uh, CNN Brazil have reported that prosecutors at the Federal Accounts Court um, have requested for Bolsonaro's assets to be frozen.
0: Beg your pardon?
1: Yeah, so the Accounts Court, you know, it does seem quite strange, but it is correct because the ransacking on these public buildings on Sunday left a trail of damage and destruction of public property, which means that, you know, that's going to cost money to the public purse to 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 fix that. So that means that the accounts court is then allowed to step in, um, but that request is unlikely to prosper. Um, but even so, it does kind of give this impression that you know the the sharks can smell blood around Bolsonaro. You know they're circling him because they think that maybe they could actually get something out of him now. Because while in office, Bolsonaro burned so many bridges um, and he committed so many transgressions. And now, after leaving office and losing the legal perks that go along with that, as you said, he may be set to face attacks from all angles because he's now fair game.
0: And we can assure listeners of Explaining Brazil and readers of the Brazilian report that they will be kept up to date as new developments arise in the aftermath of a truly shocking weekend in Brazil's history. Thank you very much, Ewan. Thanks, for that. One. If you like explaining Brazil, please give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It takes only a second and it will really help us reach a broader audience. Or better yet, sign up for The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model, and your memberships is what fuel our journalism. Thanks to our subscribers, we have been able to cover Brazil and Latin America extensively, and for our work, we have won and come as finalists in multiple international awards. In order to keep doing that work, we really need your support. Go to Brazilian.Report/Subscribe. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. Thanks for listening. Explaining Brazil will be back next week.